your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, across Europe and Asia on Euro Radio TV, in Belgium on Radio X, and everywhere else on iHeartRadio. If you'd like to check us out online, www.exxoneradiotv.com is our website on all social media sites, X-Zone Radio TV, and you can find out all about the great programming we have available for you 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network and the other great shows that we have there at www.xzbn.net. Speaking about other shows on the Exxon Broadcast Network, my guest this hour is my good friend Kevin Randall. And uh, Kevin is the host of A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, discussing the disgusting antics of the Board of Directors 
and uh, the certain members of the inner circle of MUFON. Joining me now is Kevin Randall. And Kevin, first of all, thanks very much for coming on the show. And I must say that, uh, you know, with what's going on in MUFON, it's it's hard to understand that there hasn't been more uh, more action taken by the board of directors as well as the, you know, just saying, hey, get the hell out, John Ventry and uh, Jay-Z Knight. Well, I think you have to separate the board of directors from the inner circle, the two different organizations. And some of the people on the board of directors are very fine, upstanding people. Um, mm-hmm. thinking of Rob Zwiatek, for example. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a, he's a good guy, interested in UFOs, very knowledgeable. And, uh, talk to him and some of the other people about, uh, other aspects of this. Yeah. So we, we can separate that, but when you get to the inner circle and again, there's some good people in the inner circle. Um, uh, John Schusler comes to mind immediately, but there's some real problems with the inner circle because the membership doesn't seem to be um, created by invitation or your knowledge of UFOs, but whether or not you got five grand laying around you don't yeah. need for the year and you can buy your way into the inner circle. Well, what I found very interesting was when I was doing research into the inner circle and certain members, uh, specifically John Ventry and Jay-Z Knight, it seems that MUFON got the idea of the inner circle from J.C. Knight, who has an inner circle throughout her organization as well. That could be well, well be, and I thought the same thing when I was doing some work into Jay-Z Knight, noticed that she had an inner circle. Yeah. Uh, according to John, uh, John, Jan Harzon, who appeared on A Different Perspective, when I questioned him about some of this um, – he said that the inner circle was merely a donation level and it had no influence on MUFON's day-to-day activities. Mm. But you go to the website and you look at it, and that's one of the things they say. If you join the inner circle, you will have an influence on the direction of MUFON. So, I mean, you've got a real conflict there. And you know what? This this thing about John Ventry, they they fired him as the director for the state of Pennsylvania and Delaware. Well, first of all... In order to fire somebody, don't they have to get a salary or get a get a payment for their services? Well, I think because he was a uh, state director, you can say, well, you're no longer the state director, which is in essence being fired from the job as state director. And I don't know whether there's whether he was getting any sort of compensation mm-hmm. for that or not. Mostly the state directors are unpaid volunteers who are just very interested in UFOs. Well, I, I found that very strange where they, where they use the term fired. And then what I really found strange was he was just shifted over from the state director over to the state secretary, uh, state treasurer, and the person responsible for uh, for events. So what really but changed? If, if, but if you remember, back on my program, yeah. when I was talking to uh, Harzan about this, I asked specifically, had Ventry been reduced to journal subscriber, which means somebody who just pays their $60 yeah. a year and, and basically gets the journal, has no other uh, function. And he really sort of didn't answer that, which didn't bother me because I thought it, w- it was more of a joke. Mm-hmm. But then we discovered that he's actually not been reduced to journal subscriber, he still holds some positions in the MUFON organization, which I thought was very strange. Exactly. Well, I think uh, Jan Harzan should leave MUFON and go and play hockey as her profession because he does a wonderful job of skating. 
Listen, uh, you and I have to take our first break. Please stand by. Exxon Nation, Kevin Randall is our guest. KevinRandall.blogspot.com. Check it out. Great material. I'll be back with Kevin on the other side of this break. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Dr. Kevin Randall is our special guest, and uh, Kevin is a retired U.S. U.S. Army lieutenant colonel who served combat tours as helicopter pilot in Vietnam and as an intelligence officer in Iraq. He has been uh, studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. He has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases, including the Leveland sightings and a series of sightings over Washington, D.C. in 1952. He has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs, and he has made presentations to dozens of colleges <coughs> excuse me, and other organizations. He is considered one of the leading experts in the Roswell UFO crash of 1947. He had written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century, and host the very popular A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And if you'd like to find out more about Kevin, read his fascinating information on his blog at kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Kevin, first of all, welcome back. And I, I look at the entire thing with MUFON, and I say... Somebody should care, but as you and I were talking earlier today, we sent out over 4,500 emails to different organizations, media outlets, not just in Canada and the USA, but around the world, religious organizations, because, you know, there there had been racist marks, uh, remarks made against, oh uh, my gosh, Jews, members of the LGBT, um, da, 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 Catholics, and, and others. And you know what? We did a petition. Seven stinking signatures. Seven lousy signatures. Nobody cares. I think it relates to the fact that it's UFOs. Um, 
in almost any other environment, if somebody had made the comments yeah. that were attributed to Jay-Z Knight, made the comments that uh, John Ventry posted on his Facebook page, they would be history. Nobody would want a thing to do with them, but but here it's UFOs. And, and what I get in the response, and there's a pushback against me, is, well, Jan Hirzon, Harzon has done a wonderful job of bringing money into MUFON. And others are suggesting, well, you know, uh, LBJ uh, made racist comments, and uh, he was president. And uh, uh, one of the senators, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, had been a member of the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, and nobody cared. So, you know, we can just blow this off. And my thinking is, well, let's extend it further then. Uh, George Washington owned slaves, so maybe slavery is okay. Yeah. And now that'll be taken out of context, I'm sure. I'm not saying that, of mm -hmm. course. I'm just extending this this explanation of why nobody seems to, to care about this. They're defending Harzan. They're defending MUFON. And I think the problem may be um, that a lot of the people are lumping MUFON, the, the, the general membership of MUFON, the, the people who are toiling, toiling at the lowest levels of MUFON, with this leadership, which is vested in the inner circle. And I'm just suggesting, you know, the, the, the MUFON volunteers, the, the, the field investigators, the state directors, they're working basically with no money. Uh, they're not paid. They're doing it out of a love. And they deserve better leadership. They deserve people who have a better view of the world than what apparently is at the top of MUFON right now. Is it, is it possible, Kevin, that because of all the tomfoolery and uh, some of the hoaxes that have, that have been perpetrated by members of the UFO community that, you know, there is no more uh, interest in the UFO community. The problem may be the Internet, which provides a, a forum for anybody to talk about UFOs, so mm -hmm. the information is all there, so... Uh, you know, it's it's surprising that MUFON claims 4,000 members, for example. Um, They're people who don't know, have computers, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand a lot of things. But the, the uh, uh, thing that I've noticed, and, and Carl Flock and I talked about this 10, 10 years ago, was the sightings are no longer as robust as they used to be, no longer as exciting as they used to be. They're, they're pretty much... Uh, um, I saw a light in the sky, yeah. you know, big deal. Who cares? Uh, there's an awful lot of hoaxing going yeah. on, especially in today's world where you've got the kids who, you know, a 12 year old kid with a computer can create a very credible mm -hmm. UFO film yeah. of some kind. And I, I think that may play into it. But what the real problem here is not necessarily all the hoaxes and everything. But what's going on at the, the leadership of MUFON with some of the attitudes they've expressed publicly in the last six weeks? Uh, I think you know this is where we ought to look at one of the problems. Their uh, symposium coming up, they've got two people on it speaking. One of them claims to have been uh, recruited at six years old as some kind of warrior in a special access program and served for 20 years and then was time regressed both pharmacologically and uh, mechanically, I guess, to his current age. So he served for 20 years and now he's been sent back to what his age was before he um, 
uh, to, to a different agent. They've got another guy who claims to be a time traveler. And they're presenting this information because, as Harzan said on, on my program, that he wanted to give the people a, a chance to listen to the presentations and decide the reality of them for themselves. And I'm thinking this is a, just an absolutely preposterous yeah. idea for a scientific organization. It's a cash grab. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. These guys, these guys, because they're telling bizarre stories and mm -hmm. people find the stories fascinating, they'll spend the money to go listen to these guys spout off and they won't, they can't produce any evidence because clearly the stories they're telling aren't true. But... Um, People don't seem to care. Exxon Nation, Kevin Randall is our special guest this hour. Kevin is the host of A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And to listen to uh, Kevin, as well as uh, past shows that Kevin has done, just go to www.xzbn.net. Find out when Kevin is on. You can listen at the website. And you can also click on the archives right beside Kevin's name. Click on that, and all his shows are there for you to enjoy. You know, we were talking about, uh, you know, the Internet and evidence and so on, uh, Kevin. Isn't it, isn't it logical to think that with all the advances that have been done with technology, I'm talking about the iPhones, I'm talking about the webcams, dash cams, and every other kind of cam that you can, uh, you can think of, including colonoscopies and endoscopies, if you want to go that far, uh, that there would be more evidence that would be more compelling about the existence of UFOs than we're seeing today. And as you pointed out, you know, the, 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 uh, the reporting isn't like it was years ago. The first thing I think that we should take a look at is when people are walking around with their iPhones, they're not looking at the sky, so they may not see what's going on overhead to, to record it. But uh, a, a high-quality uh, video of a UFO is simply not going to be sufficient evidence. There's got to be something else. And I always talk about multiple chains of evidence so that you have eyewitness testimony. And the great thing would be to have two or three people at two or three separate locations independently of one another videoing the same object. And then you can triangulate. You can get speed. You can get altitude. You can get size and all of that sort of thing, mm -hmm. plus the independent uh, verification. Well, didn't, uh, they, didn't they have that with the Phoenix Lights, though? Not really. No way. Because because some of the Phoenix lights were actually flares. And even though the UFO community laughs when you say that, uh, there was uh, a series of flares and you see them in the distance and they seem to wink out one after another. And when you superimpose the mountain range that was between the viewer and the dropping of the flares, you mm -hmm. can see that they were um, um, winking out as it dropped below, below the uh, level of the, the mountains. So they, they didn't have the same sort of, of uh, evidence that I would like to see. And, and a lot of the, the uh, observers weren't independent of one another. And I think, you know, we, we look at the Leveland sightings. And I, I use this as a, as a good example because we had 13 uh, people at 13 separate locations independently reporting the craft uh, either near the ground or on the ground interacting with the environment. It was killing the car engines. It was dimming right. the lights and that sort of thing. And then 50 years later, we learned that the sheriff may have been involved in a landing trace case. Well, had we investigated all of that properly in 1957, you and I might be having a different conversation now, but mm -hmm. we would have had multiple chains of evidence. The eyewitness testimony, the interaction with the environment, the um, uh, residue left by the landing that was observed by some of the people. That would have been a very good case, but 
the Air Force and uh, the UFO committee were so busy arguing about the number of witnesses that nobody sat down to actually confirm what was going on. Not to mention, apparently you had the Air Force in there suggesting to law enforcement, don't talk about this sighting to anyone else as we investigated. So they're uh, requesting that law enforcement um, uh, withhold information. And uh, the law enforcement people did said exactly what the Air Force wanted them to say. But let's look at it from the other side, the the. Let's look at it, uh, you know, through a different perspective, so to speak. Plug, plug, plug. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we're saying that if the level end investigation would have been conducted differently and if the if the sheriff would have, you know, revealed the fact that, you know, he had been investigating trace evidence that we may be looking at this entire scenario of this conversation totally different. I agree with you. However, how come there hasn't been another case like that since 50 years? There are some that suggest these sorts of things, mm-hmm. not quite as robust as as level land, but there have been other cases like that, um, not necessarily in the same fashion. Uh, the, the the Bentwaters case comes to mind immediately because you have some of some of that going on as well. But I would say, I, and this is something else that the Carl Flock and I had talked about, that is that. Um, it's kind of like you sent your graduate students out to investigate a uh, 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 a lost city or whatever. They go out there and collect all the evidence, and then they come back and they they uh, review it in the laboratory. It's uh, maybe maybe the alien creatures came down. They gathered all their information. They've gone home to study it, and they haven't come back yet. You know, it doesn't mean that the UFO has to be sightings have to be an ongoing, continuous thing for fifty or sixty years. It may be periodic, and it may be periodically simply because of the way they're operating. We don't really know. Uh, I mean, that's just speculation on my part, why you may not have the kind of things that uh, we had 50 years ago. Is it possible that the UFO craze is, is, is dying? It's on its way out? It's periodic. It's cyclic, I should say. It's cyclic. There was a high interest in 47, and then it kind of went away. And then there was high interest in 52, and then it kind of went away. And then there was high interest in 57. So it's kind of cyclic. And for a while, there was like every 5.5 years, you'd get a bunch of sightings. Um, you had you had very inter- high interest in 67, 66, 67. It kind of went away. It was high interest in 73. Um, and then it kind of went away and toward the end of the 80s and beginning into the 90s, you had a lot of interest and it died out in 97. So it's very cyclic. So uh, it, 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 and, and it seems to be coming back because there's an awful lot of talk about UFOs, which doesn't necessarily mean they're alien in, in um, origin. It just right. means that there's a lot of talk about them. A lot of talk, but no substance, no evidence. Well, in one respect, there is evidence, and that, of course, would be the um, eyewitness statements. But that's some of the, the worst evidence. It is. We have, we have landing trace cases, um, better evidence, but there are always problems. In a lot of the, the landing cases, landing trace cases, the object wasn't seen. And so, you know, you're speculating, well, mm-hmm. here's this circular area burned in the ground. Uh, it may have been a, a flying saucer. But how do we but know? Without, but how do we know? a witness, you can't make that connection. Which which leads to another question. How do we know that these UFOs are actually round? You and I have to take our break for the news at the bottom of the hour. Stand by. Exonation, Kevin Randall is our guest. KevinRandall.blogspot.com. We'll be back on the other side of this news break. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Exonation Kevin Randall is our guest this hour, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And Kevin is the host of A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And to find out when you can listen to Kevin, www.xzbn.net. So tell me, Kevin, uh, you are considered to be one of the world's leading experts on the events in Roswell, New Mexico, going back to 1947. Has there been any anything new or any any new evidence that surfaced? Or I mean, besides yep. the fact that everybody goes down there and dresses up, looks like a bunch of morons, and they celebrate the events and keep the, and don't, and keep don't the forget city. drink a little bit. Oh well, I, w- I wasn't going to get into that because I didn't want to make an <laughs> assumption. But uh, what would Roswell, New Mexico be without all the publicity about this alleged crash going back to 1947? It's been a real boon to the economy. I mean, there's no question about that. There's a lot of people going into Roswell, yeah. uh, not only dirt for the festival, but during the year to see what they can see about it. Right. But to get back to the first question, is there anything new? Not really. Um, I, when I looked, when I, when I was looking on the book uh, Roswell in the 21st Century, I wanted to te- treat it as a cold case, sort of a dispassionate look at the evidence. Mm-hmm. And by going through all of that sort of thing, I came to some conclusions that probably didn't win me any friends in Roswell, New Mexico. And, and, and part of the problem is it's basically witness testimony. The documentation that exists is extremely limited, mu- much of it in the newspapers. Uh, clearly something fell in Roswell and July of 1947, and just as clearly, we don't know what it was. Um, looking at it from one perspective, you look, you, you you see that all the terrestrial explanations have been explored, which would mm-hmm. be the uh, aircraft accident, the balloons, the rockets, and all of that sort of thing. There's really nothing there to suggest what may have been found. But looking at it from a different perspective, which I've done this just to promote the pro- my program. Um, and rightfully so (laughs) you can say well if there's no terrestrial explanation the explanation must must reside in the in the extraterrestrial and i'm not willing to make that leap uh without some better evidence there is one thing going on which is the ramey memo this is the photograph of general ramey taking in his taken in his office in july of 1947 and he's holding a document in his hand and there's been a real push over the last couple years to try to read what's on the document and there is uh, there's some words that are clearly readable with a magnifying glass, and there's been other um, software and hardware applied to this memo in an attempt to read it specifically, which hasn't quite panned out. Uh, but if that document says what some people believe it to say, which was uh, one of the lines is the victims of the wreck and it mentions disc and it forward uh, the wreckage to 
Fort Worth. Well, then you've got something a lot more tangible than we've had to this point. But there's a lot of controversy about what that wording exactly is. And it's there's no consensus on what it is. But here's a document we have a provenance for, unlike some of the other nonsense that shows up in the MJ or the uh, uh, UFO community. Yeah. We have the uh, I mean, Ramey's holding the thing in his hand. We know when the photograph was taken, which is July 8th, 1947, and we know who took it: J. Bon Johnson, a, a reporter photographer for the Fort Worth Star Telegram. There's a um, another document with that part of that picture on it with a transmittal date, which uh, came from the Bettman photo archives. And it said, you know, it was transmitted on the INS, the International News Service on July 8th, 1947 at 11.59 p.m. So, I mean, there's perfect provenance for this document. The problem is we just can't read it. And some of the, some of the most uh, experienced forensic photographers or forensic and uh, photo analysis people in the world have been able to not quite make it out. And one of the guys said, if if Johnson had only been a foot closer, we might be able to read it. But that's where we are. You know, if he'd been a foot closer, we might have it. We might be having a different conversation. But when we get to the Roswell case, it's based solely on almost solely on witness testimony. And some of the best witnesses that we really thought were credible in the early 1990s have fallen by the wayside and are we find are not credible you know you you made a reference uh and i don't know if it was a uh, if it was a um a mistake or not but a freudian slip i understand j edgar hoover wore slip too so i i don't want to you know play favoritism between freud and j edgar hoover um uh, to the new mj12 papers and you and i discussed this you were kind enough to send me the links and uh Tell our audience about these. Well, I, what I was thinking about was the documentation for Roswell, and I meant to say UFO when I said MJ-12 because the documentation, you know, some of the documentation was the MJ-12 documents, which I believe are all fraudulent. So that was kind of why I slipped MJ-12 in there. But just recently, some new documents had surfaced, um, and for five or six hours, it was all the rage until we learned – until we had a chance to look at them and read them and realize they're just completely bogus. The, the security classifications, for example, said ultra top secret. Well, that's it would have legitimately said top secret ultra if it had been part of the ultra program. And, of course, it wasn't. Um, top secret documents are topped at the – stamped at the top and the bottom with top secret. Um, you know, the uh, authors of the document are – it, it, it was stamp classified, so you couldn't see who the, the authors of the document were. But, of course, if it had been a top-secret document, there's no reason to hide the names of the, of the authors of the document. And the reason you do that is because you don't know who might have written that. Written mm-hmm. that and you don't want to mention somebody who might still be alive that could contradict what you're saying. So, I mean, there was all kinds of problems with this thing. And it got really stupid when you got down to the interview by several different interrogators of EBE, an extraterrestrial biological unit. And the guy, the, the, the EBE, they say, well, why are you coming to the, to, to the earth? And the answer was, well, we like the trees. Uh, you know, I mean, this is absolutely <laughs> preposterous stuff. My, my, my first response was, do you still like uh, strawberry ice cream and Tibetan music, you know, which came out in, uh, what, 1987 or something when <laughs> they were talking about some of these other useless MJ-12 documents? Yeah, well, I, why is it that people still cling on to the MJ-12 documents when we know for a fact that they're, that they're fakes, they're hoaxes? They're, you know, it's nothing else but a bunch of ETBS. 
it validates their belief structure. They need something to validate their belief structure, and MJ-12 does it because it says they crashed in Roswell in 1947, and here's a document that proves it. What they never say is that Bill Moore said in early the early 1980s that he was thinking of creating a Roswell-type document because he thought if he had something to show to some of the reluctant witnesses, say, well, other people have talked mm-hmm. about it, they would now feel free to talk about what they knew from the inside, which, of course, is not the way it works in the intelligence community, but a lot of people don't know that. Uh, and then, lo and behold, Bill Moore comes up with the MJ-12 documents that were allegedly sent to him. Uh, or to his friend Jamie Shandera uh, in in 1984 that, that validates all of this stuff. There's a fatal flaw in the first MJ-12 document, which uh, is the Eisenhower briefing document, and it mentions a crash in the El Indio Guerrero area of Mexico that took place in December of 1950. But if you um, know the history of this stuff, you realize that was a story told by a guy named Robert Willingham who claimed that he had been an Air Force colonel and a fighter pilot, which both statements were untrue, and he didn't tell the story until 1968. So the question is, how did an event that was not mentioned or invented until 1968 appear in a document that was allegedly created in 1952? And the answer is it couldn't be. But Bill Moore was aware of this colonel telling the story back in the 1970s and thought it may be true, so he included it in the MJ-12 document. The other interesting thing is the Plains of San Augustine, alleged Plains of San Augustine crash in July of 1947, isn't mentioned in the MJ-12 document. By the time it was created, most of us understood that the Barney Barnett tale really didn't work for July of 1947. Um, So... Based on the lack of no evidence, the amount of fraudulent material that is out there, why do people still believe in UFOs? Some of them because they've seen it, uh, seen one or what they think is one, and you're not going to tell them that they what they saw was mm-hmm. Venus or a meteor, a bolide, or some other astronomical or atmospheric phenomena. They're just not going to believe that because they want to believe in alien visitation so badly. And that's the other part of it. Some people want to believe in alien visitation. They may see it as a salvation for um, our world. They can help us get, a, get us out of the messes we believe we're in and that sort of thing. And I would love to believe it because it would be proof that interstellar travel is possible and that we can go to other star systems, which is really kind of a neat concept, although it's pretty much science fiction at the at the moment. But I think you know all of that kind of plays into why people want to believe uh, in in UFOs, and they will set the bar of evidence at a level they're comfortable with, which may not be a very high bar. Uh, you know, somebody telling you a story and saying, "Yeah, this really happened to me," may be sufficient evidence for some people where others would say, well, you know, um, you've got no evidence to prove what you say other mm-hmm. than your citing. I believe you sincerely reporting what you what you think you saw, but that doesn't make it an alien spacecraft. So there seems to be a general lack of credibility uh, throughout the UFO community. And I'm sure that with the events that have happened over the last couple of weeks with MUFON, specifically the remarks being said by John Ventry and Jay-Z Knight. You know, let's just take a look at John Ventry. He's the same guy who in 2014 said that the reason why Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 would never be found because it was abducted by aliens. You know, then then you've got him who he was hosting the uh, Hangar 1, the MUFON uh, TV uh, show, so-called reality TV show. 
What does this do to the, the, the credibility of, of anything that MUFON will see in the future? If you listen to Jan Harzon, the uh, importance of Hangar 1 was it brought a lot of sighting reports into MUFON's reporting system, and it brought in new members. So it the, the, the program uh, did what it was supposed to do, which was increase the membership of MUFON. The fact that they had one show dedicated to the Star Warrior, this guy who claimed that he was abducted when he was 17 from his bed, fought on other planets uh, for 20 years, and then was returned to his bed 15 minutes after he'd left. Um, you know, th- th- there was a whole program devoted to this guy, and the, the-, the story is just absolutely un- unbelievable. And yet there were people subscribing to it, and, you know, the answer is, well, it... You know, the, we couldn't control what the producers did with some of these shows, so you had to run with this. But, but MUFON seemed, seemed to accept that guy. But you also had another MUFON director from Texas who was saying that he was abducted on a regular basis to a starship, or he was a lieutenant gunnery officer on this massive ship that was moored on the other side of, um, of Pluto. And uh, during his uh, tenure as a gunnery officer, he went to... Uh, a planet where he where he had sex with an alien and they have a daughter that is living on the other side of the universe. And this guy has told this story long, far, and wide. Is there something in the water or that happens at a MUFON convention that kind of rattles the cranium? I think what they're doing is... Well, some people just need the attention. And, I mean... Like I've said many times, around the turn of the century, which is the last one, not the one we just had, right. there were there were 15 guys in, in carnivals, different carnivals around the United States, claiming to be just the real Jesse James. You know, 14 of them had to be lying. Exactly. Uh, and, and the 15th one was lying as well. All right, stand by, Kev. You and I have to take our final break. Exxon Nation, Kevin Randall is our special guest. He is the host of A Different Perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And you can find out all about Kevin, his shows, and listen to the archives at www.xzbn.net. Kevin and I will return on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the XO from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213 213- 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Kevin Randall's our guest this hour, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And uh, first of all, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love listening to your show. You've had some great guests You've had Colonel Halt, you've had uh, John Greenwald, you've had, of course, uh, Jan Harzan, Nick Redfern, just to name a few. Speaking about Nick Redfern, what do you think about his new book where he says that basically Roswell was uh, uh, an experiment that went wrong? Nick and I disagree on that. I, uh, I, I, I just don't see the evidence there. When his first book came out, which mm-hmm. was Body Snatchers in the Desert, right. which uh, I said that there wasn't any real documentation to to link to this Japanese unit 731. And in the new book, he's got some documentation that actually provides some, some information about, um, I wouldn't say American complicity in some of that nonsense. It's not that we were involved in actually the, the experimentation taken, uh, uh, taking place in uh, unit 731 back during World War II, but once the war was over, some of the guys who were involved in that got a free pass because the information was shared with the United States and the information was valuable in understanding the reactions of the human body to space travel and things like that. But I just don't see the evidence that suggests that Roswell was um, linked to to that. So. Nick and I disagree, but he's done he's done some really yeah. interesting research and presents a really uh, uh, good case for his point of view. I just don't think it it uh, is is the right explanation. Although I have said repeatedly that a, a terrestrial explanation that could be proven would probably be a bestseller almost immediately if uh, you could do it. Um, so you know you've got to be able to actually document precisely what fell at Roswell. And at this point, we haven't been able to do so. Disclosure. Steve Bassett, big proponent of disclosure. He's had these events at uh, different locations. He had the big one in Washington at the press club. You know, all hype, a lot of fizzle. I think it's mostly hype. I can't see any motivation for the U.S. government to disclose it. If they had a flying saucer or multiple flying saucers, I can't see any motivation for the U.S. government to disclose that. If there was disclosure coming, it's going to be the aliens who do it and going to land in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada and say, here we are. And the news media is going to be there and it's going to be obvious that they're aliens. So I, I, I see nothing there. I've quizzed him on this. I let him off the hook at yeah. one point where I asked about evidence, and he said, well, the evidence is overwhelming, and I should have said, give me a specific, and he went off on a tangent. What I should have said was, I'm sorry, but unless you can provide some evidence, and the, and the, the, the burden of proof is not on me asking, mm-hmm. uh, suggesting the event isn't going to happen. It's on you to, to prove your case, and he hasn't. he, he didn't do it. So I let him off the hook in, the, in that respect, but uh, um, he's done some interesting things. And the the conference in Washington D.C. D.C. Washington D.C. It's like I couldn't say totality on the uh, the on my program the other day. Um, 
but but the but the point the point simply is uh, it was an interesting event in Washington D.C. But it didn't prove anything, and I got a free trip to Washington out of it, so I got to see the Vietnam uh, Memorial and some things like that. But um, once again, he allowed uh, MJ12 to rear its ugly head and uh, uh, allowed some other things that I think are very dubious to to be presented there as well. And I, when you when you move into those arenas, and this is the thing that MUFON's doing with their symposium, moving into the arenas where you're presenting people who have a very interesting story but have no evidence for what they're saying, uh, you're you're really kind of undermining the whole UFO community simply because if you look at it from one point of view, we are a fringe group, mm-hmm. and now you've moved beyond the fringe and endorsing things that are clearly invented for the by the people who desire the spotlight that badly i want to be on television yeah. i want to be heard so i'm going to tell this outrageous story and people will listen and people do listen you know uh, the two things come to mind i remember reading uh, an interview with chris carter a number of months ago and uh, the interviewer said well how come you're not bringing the x-files back and his reply was the interest just isn't there anymore and he may be well yeah. he may be right although if you look at um, that's, that's really not. I was going to say some of the movies being produced now, they all have a science fiction theme to mm-hmm. them. Uh, but I think it's it's really more explosions and uh, people running around loose and uh, having these fist fights than it is of any kind of plot driven uh, story. It's 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 really not it's really not there in in one respect. Uh, you tell a good in science fiction. People never understood science fiction. It really wasn't about. Um, uh, you know, the, the space travel, it was about telling a good story. Why did Star Wars work? Because you cared about the characters. Yeah. Put the same characters into any other environment doing the same things. You would have cared about those people. Uh, that was what drove the best science fiction was the characters. And people simply did not. I don't like science fiction. Why not? Well, I, you know, it's it's they just didn't understand what science fiction was supposed to be. And so I, I think that he may be right that. The um, the interest in the X Files isn't there like it was once before, but but at some point somebody's going to tap into something and and it's going yeah. to be a, a, the next big thing in science fiction. What was it, Kevin, that brought you into the the interest of UFOs that you have? I always blame my mom. No, um, well she because she was interested in science fiction, mm-hmm. and science fiction is about interstellar travel and alien civilizations and all of that sort of thing and so when you get to the ufos what is it about it's about interstellar travel and it's about uh, all of those sorts of things so it wasn't a large step from science fiction into ufos so i've always had a very strong interest in ufos which my mother sort of cultivated and it moved me into ufos because here might be the reality of those things which unfortunately after 70 years we have been unable to prove right but uh, you know that was kind that was kind of it. I, I remember that as a little kid, she took me to see the movie Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which was allegedly based on the book by Don Quixote. And all they did was take the uh, um, the um, sort of, sort of by the title of his mm-hmm. book and move it into a really bizarre realm. But uh, I mean, she took me to that that movie, so I was always interested in the science fiction aspect of it. Wow. You yourself have you ever seen a UFO? I used to say no because it was easier to say that, but I was a member sort of of the Denver UFO Society when I was growing up as a, in high school. And we had a big meeting mm-hmm. at a ranch 
near Castle Rock, which is south of Denver. And we were sitting around the the campfire one in the evening and saw a light travel across the sky. It got directly overhead, flashed once, and then continued on its course. And it was going from north to south. And at the time, there were no uh, satellites in a polar orbit that would have been visible to us at that point in time. So I don't know what that was, but it was just a point of light and it flashed one time, which you can figure all kinds mm-hmm. of alternative explanations for. But it did cross the sky, and that's the closest I've ever come. During uh, doing your show, has there ever been a time when a guest has just caught you totally off guard? <clears throat> well, Stephen Bassett, but but that was that was when we were going to talk about the uh, newest MJ12 documents, and I thought he was going to defend them, and the first thing out of his mouth was, well, they're fraudulent, and I'm thinking, oh, great, now what do I do, because I thought we were going to be <laughs> arguing about the reality of these things, and he's, he's agreeing with me, so yeah. I'm stuck now <laughs> trying to figure out how to move the program along. So that you, was the only time I've really been caught off guard. You, you've had a lot of great guests on your show. And has there ever been a time when a guest has brought you into an area or given you information that you never had, but made a lot of sense? No, not really. Uh, I've had guests tell me stories that I simply didn't believe mm. um, and, and, and tried to question them at length about those stories just to, to draw out the nonsense. But I, there's never been somebody that gave me a story that I would go back and research and say, oh, my God, this is just incredible. It, most of the great stories I already know. And um, you know, I've, I've just never run into anything like that. I've had people tell me stories that when I've gone to research, realize they're, they're utter crap. But, um, you know, that's kind of where we are. And I, I try to present a program that's interesting, but I also try to present a program that's based in facts so that we don't end up with people who claim to be time travelers on the show. And if I have one who claims to be a time traveler, I'm going to question him sure. very, very differently than I would from someone who uh, is telling what I think is probably a legitimate story. Here's a question for you. If... NASA had proof of extraterrestrial life and that UFOs from other planets, other universes, other galaxies, other dimensions were visiting Earth. Do you think that they'd share it with the public? NASA, I think they would. Uh, It's a pretty transparent organization. If you're talking about the military, on the other hand, I would say no, they wouldn't necessarily um, talk about it, and I, th- I think they would they would fall back on the cloak mm. of, of 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 national, national security. security to say, well, we can't talk about it. its national security, um, and 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 if we could figure out how the flying saucers worked, uh, we would then be way ahead of all our competitors in the world because that technology, as it's described, is just extraordinary. Kevin, as always, time goes by very fast when I talk to you, my friend. First of all, congratulations on the great job you do on your show, A Different Perspective. That's on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And come on, give your book a plug. I love it. <laughs> well, the book is Roswell in the 21st Century, which you know looks at the uh, case dispassionately. The new book is called Contact in the Desert, and it's about the Socorro UFO landing, and should be out in October, and I think I bring some new information to that case to the forefront. So I think that'll be an interesting book as well. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight, my friend. Always a great pleasure speaking to you, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet here in the X-Zone or listening to your show. Take care of yourself, Kevin, and thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you. X-Zone Nation, Kevin Randall has been my guest this hour. He's the host of A Different Perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. 
And his uh, blogs is uh, kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I'll be back on the other side of this break with the news as we continue here in the XO from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away now. Thank you. 